Hello and welcome to Altamar. I'm Peter Schechter. And I'm Mooney Jensen, here to navigate the rough seas of global politics, as we do twice a month. And today we'll discuss the results of Italy's recent election, the winners and losers, the ramifications for Italy and beyond. And later we'll invite Eric Jones to join us. He's the director of the Robert Schumann Center for Advanced Studies at the European University Institute and a longtime Italian resident and observer. Muni, it was only a few months ago that we aired a podcast about Italy being like the 2021 country of the year, thanks to these incredible successful reforms under Prime Minister Mario Draghi. How did that go? <laughs> I mean, the wonderful thing about my native Italy is that, you know, it goes from Mario Draghi to Giorgia Meloni. And, and you know, here we are less than a year later, and boy, oh boy, are we in a different situation. You know, Draghi's resigned in a dramatic political saga, and now the brothers of Italy, Fratelli d'Italia, an extreme right party with neo-fascist roots, who started with less than 4% popularity just a decade ago, have now won Italy's national election totally demolishing the country's traditional center and center-left ruling parties and even cutting to size La Lega, the previously dominant right-wing project. The Brothers of Italy under Giorgia Meloni, who will be the next prime minister of the Italian Republic, its first woman leader and the first right-wing leader since World War II. The country that seemed to be progressing under the steady, technocratic, respected European leadership of Mario Draghi has just done the most shocking U-turn. So from a political point of view, there are a few takeaways I think that are worth mentioning. First, the right-wing coalition did not, as some feared, win enough for a two-thirds majority. Second, the north-south divide is still alive and well in Italy with the south still voting in surprising support of Movimento Cinque Stelle, the five-star movement that ended up with high teens in, in the voting uh, in parliament. And third, the center-left parties that ruled Italy for the past two decades have just imploded and need to completely rethink their political offering. So, Peter, I remember talking about this with Thea, how ironic it was that Giorgia Meloni represented a party in a very Italian fashion, Fratelli d'Italia, as you mentioned, which is brothers. So who is Giorgia Meloni and what does she stand for? Meloni, she's 45 years old, basically a rookie in government who grew up with a single mother in a blue collar leftist neighborhood in Rome. And she's one of the few people, few women, and I, and I mean really very few women in high office in a very macho man culture. And her anti-establishment party is ultra right wing. She herself has been a vocal Eurosceptic and anti-immigrant, and she sprinkles banker bashing into her political speeches and is not a great friend of the United States, to say the least. It is true, though, that she's recently, like many politicians who become heads of state, softened her anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. She's tried to attract younger voters with social issues. She's also been a steadfast supporter of Ukraine so far and a regular critic of Putin. Although, and this is a coalition government, remember, members of the incoming ruling coalition are vociferously anti-NATO, pro-Putin, and anti-immigrant. The coalition's party leaders, which include Berlusconi, a friend of Putin's, and Matteo Salvini, is set to drastically change the course of Italian politics. So they 
again, we talked about the role of women or lack thereof during our last Italy episode. Let's hear what you have to say now on Tastic. Hi, I'm Tia Ivanovich, and this is Tia's Take, where we take a look at youth and social justice issues. So today I'm looking at young Italians, and of course, in the context of this recent election, but also more broadly as an apathetic subset of voters. And Giorgia Meloni's victory in an election with lower turnout than usual and a trend of lower turnout for the last 30 years comes as formerly taboo and marginalized parties with Nazi or fascist heritages are entering or re-entering the mainstream and winning elections across Europe. You guys mentioned it in the intro. And this month, a hard-right group founded by neo-Nazis and skinheads became the largest party in Sweden's likely governing coalition. And in France this year, the far-right leader Marine Le Pen, for a second consecutive time, reached the final round of the presidential elections. And in Spain... Uh, the hard hard ride Vox, a party which is closely aligned with Meloni, is surging. So lots to worry about. And younger people across Europe, and particularly in Italy, are more inclined to skip voting, especially those in the lowest income brackets with a lower education level, and particularly in Italy's poorer southern regions. They're disillusioned because the youth like theme, if you want to call it that, is very absent from a debate that for years has been dominating by policies for Italy's aging population. And a friend once told Peter that Italy has become a fortress, quote unquote, a fortress of pensioners. And simply put, young people just don't see politics as a solution to their problems. And what's fascinating is that for the first time in Italian history, 18 to 24-year-olds actually enjoyed full voting rights in this national election, meaning the voice of young people should have counted more than ever before. This ended a long-standing anomaly which, where the minimum voting age for the upper house Senate was actually lowered from 25 to 18, and the change affected more than 4 million people out of an electorate of 51 million. And politicians really tried to win over young voters. And true to his showman persona, the former prime minister and Bunga Bunga party leader, Silvio Berlusconi, has led the way in attempts to reach out via TikTok with strange videos in which he uses these funny voices and cracks jokes and plays on his playboy image. And Salvini, another leader of the far right, leads the bunch with hundreds of thousands of viewers on his videos. And yet young voters are not coming out to the polls. So my take is this. There are vast numbers of disenchanted, young and resigned people not voting. It's true in Italy, especially in this election, but it's true everywhere else in Europe. And TikTok politicians aren't going to cut it. Those in power need to show that they have the youth's interests in mind, from creating more economic opportunities to fighting climate change. And leaders need to show that they understand millennials and Gen Z's concerns, that they're taking steps to deal with these problems. Young voters are just not seeing that. And the problem is that each year there are millions new young voters. And in a few years, who will vote? So as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Tweet at Altamar Podcast and let's debate. Thanks, Thea. I, you know, I think it's it's impressive this disenchantment among the young that that you describe, and and you know, there I think there's a growing concern that neo-fascism of some type, right-wing extremism, is expanding throughout 
Europe. And I, I just say this, there's two views on this. On the one hand, Italy may end up joining an extreme wave of right-wing leaders that's swelling in Europe. You know, Meloni's government joins now Viktor Orban in Hungary, leaders in Poland, the newly elected governments in Sweden. That includes a clearly neo-Nazi group. On the other hand, Europe is still very real and Italy is still very dependent on Brussels and the European Central Bank, which provides a cover for Meloni to become somewhat more stateswoman-like than radical, which will be the new direction of the new Italian government. For that, we're going to turn to our guests for context and insight. Eric Jones is director of the Robert Schumann Center for Advanced Studies at European University Institute. He is currently on leave as professor of European Studies and International Political Economy at the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies in Bologna, where he was also Thea's advisor and the director of her program. He is the author of multiple books on the EU and special issues on journals on topics related to European politics and the political economy, including reference works like the Oxford Handbook of European Union and the Oxford Handbook of Italian Politics. Professor Jones is co-editor of The Government and Opposition and is a contributing editor for Survival. He has also been analyzing the Italian elections and the ramifications of those elections inside and outside Italy. Eric, welcome back to Altamar. We're happy to have you back. Well, thank you for having me. Eric, let's start with the general impression of the recent elections and the implications for the future of Italy. Well, the, the general impression is that we knew this was going to happen. We've been waiting for this to happen for months and months now. And yet, it, when it finally happens and you see the right win an overwhelming victory like this, everybody stops and pauses and says, this is unprecedented. This is going to be a change moment in Italian history. So there's definitely not a surprise, but is there any idea of how a country can transition from someone like Mario Draghi to a newcomer like Giorgia Meloni with everything that she represents? The transition is going to be an interesting one. I mean, everybody loved Mario Draghi, and yet, you know, a significant plurality of the population voted for a governing coalition that represents the opposite of what Mario Draghi represents. Uh, and it becomes a majority if you include the five-star movement, which is what brought down Draghi's government. And that was the biggest winning party outside of Giorgio Maloney's Brothers of Italy. So, so in that sense, the, the country seems to be ready to move on. Now, how we move on in practical terms, what's interesting is that Mario Draghi and Giorgio Maloney have been coordinating this transition in a very close manner since even before the election took place. Um, and so in that sense, uh, I think that the engines of government are working well to help society move from one government to the next. Let's get into the weeds a little bit of Italian politics and you know who and what failed. I mean, it certainly seems like the biggest losers here were the center-left party, Renzi and Letta. The leaders of the center-left Democratic Party were brutally punished by workers. So we now have a country that as you just mentioned, between the coalition of the right parties and the five-star movement, which is in sort of anti-elite, anti-status quo party, which brought down Mario Draghi. What does the center and the center-left need to do to come back after this? 
That's a really good question because what they need to do is work together. If if the Five Star Movement and the Democratic Party and Azione Italia Viva, which is the centrist group, had worked together, they would have been a block every bit as large as the right-wing bloc that won. And the only reason that Giorgio Maloney has this huge majority in both chambers of parliament is because the left refused to work together. And, and the, the person who's being regarded in the electorate as most responsible for that failure is the outgoing leader of the Democratic Party, Enrico Leita. How does the Democratic Party come back? Besides just trying to bring people together, is there a message failure here? Is there a policy failure? Where do you see the crux of what they need to think about? So I, I, I would argue that it's a message failure. It's a message failure insofar as if you look at the two parties who did the best, which would be the Five Star Movement and the Brothers of Italy, they have very clear programmatic points they made throughout the campaign time and again. Whereas what Letta argued in the campaign is you have to vote for the PD or democracy is going to collapse. And, and yet, Letta was making that argument without doing the coalition building necessary to keep the right out of power. So this is an argument that doesn't make any sense. Why would you say democracy is going to collapse if you're not going to keep the right from power? The new PD needs to come up with a message that says what they're going to do, not what they're going to prevent. And for a progressive party, you would think that the message of doing something to make Italy better would be much more compelling than the alternative. Let's look at the other big loser of this election, which was La, uh, La Lega, with Salvini at its head. What happened to the party that just a few years ago seemed to be close to leading the country and Salvini, Matteo Salvini, being one of the, the people that everybody was worried about, and now they actually lost votes? So part of it is the, the protest merry-go-round. So every election, the people vote for somebody they didn't vote before. Uh, in 2018, the Lega was the new kid on the block, so they got 17 percent. In 2019, in the European elections, they got 34 percent. So in that sense, they got to benefit. But then ask yourself, what did Salvini do with all this power? He brought down the populist five-star movement Lega government and failed to dissolve parliament and call for early elections. Then he joined Mario Draghi, who represents everything the Lega stands against. Uh, and governed in a disciplined manner for about a year and a half. So his electorate is looking at him and saying, I, I don't know what you stand for. And by the way, you're the protest guy and you're not protesting, you're going along. So they, they've left him and, and now he's hung out to dry. He got less than 9% of the vote. So he's half what he had in 2018. Let's talk a little bit about the relationship with the EU. So how much does Brussels and the European Central Bank constrain the right-wing coalition? How much checks and balances, to say it in American terms? Because they're talking about a flat tax and other radical redesigned, but Italy obviously is economically weak and it's highly dependent on Europe's institution. How is that interaction going to be? The real constraint are not institutions at the European level. The real constraint are the constraints that Britain is feeling right now which is the constraints of the markets. Um, and, and so if, if the Italian government wants to go out and go crazy, like the British government seems intent to do, um, then the markets are gonna punish them ferociously. By contrast, if Georgia Maloney is gonna work with European institutions, that can insulate her 
in order to achieve many of her programmatic objectives. Maybe they won't get to do all the economic policies that you mentioned, but she's got a conservative social agenda too. Let me jump in here. Did you? I don't know if you read Sebastian Malaby's uh, op-ed in the Washington Post uh, two or three days ago, which he, he made this point that you're making exactly, which was that everybody thought that Italy would be the weak link in Europe and that these elections could expose Italy to the market tumult. But instead, the market's reaction has been pretty quiet and the weak link in Europe now seems to be Britain. And you know, Sebastian is arguing that the difference between these two cases is the fact that one country left Europe and one country is in Europe. And the fact that it's in Europe is making it more stable than the one that left. I mean, do you, you, uh, you buy into that? I, I mean, 100%, right? Think about it. Italy is getting outside fiscal resources from Europe's recovery and resilience package, which is called Next Generation EU. Uh, Italy is promised support by the European Central Bank through a, you know, one of the deliciously named instruments they have called the Transmission Protection Instrument. Uh, but, but basically what it all means is that Italy will not have to worry so much about the markets as it would have had to worry if it were not subject to those protections. And most important, Italy doesn't have its own currency, so there's not as much to speculate against. So let's talk a little bit about the question that a lot of people now are going to be talking about as uh, Meloni and her coalition comes to power, is what are they going to do? How do you see their policy uh, implementation? What do you think comes first? And how do you see the sort of short and medium-term forecast for the country? Well, I think in the, in the short term, we all know what they have to do, which is they have to write a budget that budget must be approved by both houses of parliament by the end of December. That's a huge task. Obviously, Mario Draghi will have prepared something, his team, but, but they've got to tweak it on the margins to match their own constituencies. After they do that, they're gonna begin moving on some of these social issues, not to take away abortion rights and not to displace women from the workforce and not to strip rights away from the LGBTQ plus community, but, but rather to shift the agenda in all of those debates to favor keeping your child rather than having an abortion, to favor uh, living in a, in a nuclear family that has a man and a woman, um, and, and to favor all of these more conservative Catholic principles that, that Georgia Maloney supports. And after that, they will get to their economic agenda associated with the reforms necessary to unlock the money from Europe and, and, and so on. So there's, there's a long chain of events to face. In essence, what you're saying is that the right in Italy is following the right in many parts of the world, feeling that culture and culture wars are more effective political instruments than socioeconomic debates or policy differences. And uh, those were the, the debates of the past, the debates of the future, and the debates of today are more cultural. Exactly. But also, you know, unlike other parts of the world, Italy hasn't had a classical right wing government since the Second World War. It's always been governed either by centrist Christian Democrats or Christian Democrats in coalition with somebody else, or it's had center right governments with a strong centrist business component in it. This is the first time we have a real right wing government with the right 
firmly in control, and that gives them an opportunity to achieve social goals they never had before. So talking about social issues, well, Meloni has obviously made history as a first woman prime minister in Italy, a country definitely known more for the bunga bunga of Berlusconi than for advancing women's rights and women leaders in politics. And we've discussed this in the past. So she is definitely charismatic, but also a bit of a rookie with not a ton of experience in politics. Do you think she'll be able to advance her agenda with independence? Will she will she be a, a kind of captured by the men's club mentality? And this is all kind of colored by the fact that she does represent the 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 right, which is not necessarily the you know the voice for for women's freedom around the world. So it's an, it's an interesting question because you know it's true Georgia Maloney has not been in front bench politics to the same degree as many other prime ministers. But in contrast to Matteo Renzi, for example, who went from being mayor of Florence to being prime minister with a very short interruption, Giorgia Maloney has been a minister of government. She was minister of youth in the period from 2008 to 2011. She's been actively in politics since she was 15 years old. So she has a 30-year career as an activist. And she built her own political party over the last decade from having 2% of the vote to having 26% of the vote. Um, and, and, and she's done all that in a very patriarchal society as a woman working by herself. So in, in, in many respects, you know, we want to do the old Grace Kelly thing. She's been dancing backward with heels on uh, and she's at the top of the heap right now. And it's pretty damn impressive. So let's talk about youth. You mentioned um, youth as well. And young voters are apathetic about politics and voter turnout as a whole has been going down for the past 30 years. But the youth in particular doesn't seem interested. And until the late 1980s, 90% of eligible voters in Italy went to the polls. But over the last 30 years, we've seen this crazy decline. So where do you see this going in a wider discussion about Italy's politics? What does it mean? So the, the youth engagement part is really important because there was a moment right before the pandemic when the youth in Italy actually formed its own political movement. It was called the Sardines. And they became very active, but their goal was not to be active in electoral politics. It was to be active on the street and, and in civic forums and all the rest. And so I think there's a lot of potential for youth to become active. I think the offer in the political space just hasn't attracted them. For the right, you know, the, the, the message has been to, to put the youth at ease so that they wouldn't rebel against Georgia Maloney. And if you look at what she does on TikTok, which is totally different from what she does in other formats, her stuff on TikTok is all about making her human and easy and relatable. Um, and since that's what the youth audience sees, they don't find her nearly as challenging a political figure as the older generations. Yeah, and, and prepping for this episode, I mean, you, I also saw Berlusconi and Salvini, they're all on TikTok, right? But then you have a lot of youth saying, like, yes, it's very fun to watch them, and they have hundreds of thousands of views, but they're like, well, I watch them on TikTok, but I don't care about actually going out and voting because it doesn't mean anything. So if you're, if you're Georgia Maloney, you don't need to get the youth to go out and vote, right? You just need them not to vote for your 
opponents. And so look at who voted for the Democratic Party. And what you discover is the Democratic Party is the party that is overrepresented by pensioners, right? Which is not a great look if you want to have a future as a center left party. Um, and, and so they need to attract these youth voters that you're talking about. And Georgia Maloney is now pivoting as she comes into office to try to figure out ways to do that. I should say, though, with the conservative social message she has, that's a that's a heavy lift, right? Because I don't think as many young people are as interested in these traditional family values as she is. Eric, let's move a little bit to foreign policy, and let me let me start with Russia because it's the looming big uh, big thing in the world, and particularly in Europe. I mean, Meloni's been clear on her sympathies with Ukraine, and you know, but her allies, including Berlusconi and Salvini, are pretty, very sympathetic to to Putin and to Russia. So, with Hungary and Poland and Sweden and other countries embracing the right, where do you see Italy now? moving in terms of what's happening in Ukraine and its its own foreign policy towards Russia. Remember, Maloney comes from the old post-fascist tradition and the neo-fascist tradition that preceded it. That tradition has always been anti-communist, which in an odd sort of way made it very pro-NATO. And indeed, they got involved by NATO in lots of activities that we don't need to go into. So Maloney has a long record of supporting NATO, and she has no problem being opposed to Putin. As for Salvini, Salvini's got bigger worries. He got fewer than 9% of the vote. The old guard in his party wants him out. Uh, and, and so he can't play nice with Putin. That would just be an own goal of a huge sort. As for Berlusconi, Berlusconi is 86 years old today. And alas, he may say these crazy things about Vladimir Putin, but nobody in his party is going to follow him down that road. So I think we're okay on Russia and, and Ukraine, particularly given the constellation of power within the right-wing coalition. Let's move to the U.S. How, how do you see this new coalition and its relations with, with Biden? I mean, you know, Meloni has said some less than generous things about the United States. And so how do you see that now? So the last piece that Maloney added to her support was part of the Northern Italian business community. And the Northern Italian business community loves the United States. Um, and she's not going to alienate them by going toe to toe with the American president. And there's no reason for the American president to pick a fight with her at this point, particularly if she's loyal in the context of the war in Ukraine. So I think the relationship with the United States will be stabilized. What we should look for is who she appoints as foreign minister and economic and finance minister. The rumor is that she's actually thinking about a foreign minister who could be a technocrat. And if that's true, then we would expect the transatlantic relationship to be stronger in this Italian-American uh, dimension. Great. And let's let's in the last minute that we have, let's talk a little bit about Italy's relations with Brussels. Brussels has gotten tough on Hungary recently. Where do you see Italy and Brussels? I mean, we, you've talked before about Italy's dependence on many things uh, that are happening in, with the European Central Bank in particular, but how do you see its relations with, with Brussels? Well, it's clear that Giorgio Maloney believes fervently in national sovereignty. 
And that's why she supports Viktor Orban, for example. But it's also clear she has no interest in the short to medium term in picking unnecessary fights with the European Commission. The question is whether the Commission has an interest in picking fights with her. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, some comments made by European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen uh, threatening very explicitly Italy that if it misbehaves, there are instruments that can be used to deal with that. Those kind of comments were not helpful. What we really want to see over the next few months is an easy working relationship between the Commission and the Italian government. Uh, we need that to make sure that this next generation EU money is a success, uh, because if it is not a success, um, then we won't get to do this kind of a program again. Eric Jones, thank you again for joining us and coming back to Altamar. Thank you for having me. So there, Peter, I thought when we first started you know, learning about Giorgia Meloni and, and the 180 degree turn of, of Italian politics, that there would be outrage and, and fear and, and a lot, a lot of concern. Um, as I'm listening to our guest, he sounds like pragmatically optimistic or at least not completely alarmed. I wanted to ask both of you what you think about this. If, if the whole world has gone pragmatic, if it's a wait and see thing, I don't know Peter, what your friends in Italy are talking about, and whether that kind of giving this pass on Georgia Meloni is going to help or hurt um, the country and then the, and the relationships abroad. Well, I, I was in Italy a few weeks ago, and my friends are divided into two camps. One is are the ones that want to move to Portugal now, immediately, today. I'm buying a place in Lisbon. <laughs> And the other ones are the ones that say, well, you know, she's not as bad as she, you, you may think. And she's so constrained by Brussels and by and by the European Central Bank. She won't have a lot of movement. She won't have things like that. And he, here's where I come down. I, I feel like it's the conversation about Donald Trump in 2016 when he got elected. And for those few months in between his election and in his inauguration, everybody said, well, you know, he's from New York. He's got this very hip daughter and, you know, he's going to, it's not going to be so bad. We're going to be able to work with him. I, I think honestly, the right wing today is all about these culture wars. And I think those culture wars are incredibly divisive and polarizing in ways that the ideological wars about the economy are not. And so my fear here is that we're going to get this government that's going to do this little reform here and this little reform there. And this in this slow Victor Orban or even Hugo Chavez way, you know, you're going to slowly these, these little reforms that begin with social stuff and cultural stuff. And then they creep into the economy and they creep into the body politic and you end up with a pretty radical and unfortunately, far too permanent government. So that's that's my fear. I mean, I agree with that, right? And, and the fear is that she'll get into the Constitution and she'll start making these amendments. But I think the youth here is key, right? Because I think our biggest fears are in the short and medium term. But I think long term, you know, people like her don't stand a chance. And, and um, I really believe that because all these traditional values and the nuclear family and all, and all that stuff is just not where the youth aligns. And right now the youth is not voting, right? They're boycotting almost. But 
over the course of the next few years and decades, there will be so much youth that, you know, who's going to vote if the youth is not voting? Right. I'm not supposed to interrupt here because we're supposed to say goodbye, but I just want to say, I suggest here that you look at a rally of Vox in Spain. There's so many young people at those rallies. I mean, I just don't know if this the right wing that we're seeing in Europe constitutes this anti-establishment sense that sort of, you know, being a communist or being a leftist used to be in when I when I was young. I mean, it, I just I, I just wonder. I don't, I don't know. Well, we should do an episode on Vox soon. Um, but I think in Italy, it was very clear that the youth is not coming out and not voting, right? They're apathetic. So I think we can keep debating this. And um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So tweet at Altamar Podcast. And you can listen to Altamar wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us. We also have a biweekly free newsletter. It's about three minutes long for you to read. It's an analysis of global trends. And uh, we will see you next time.